You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about managing difficult relationships within supervision. This week, we read Mental Gymnastics, Navigating Challenging Relationships, published in Counseling Today 2022. And Heather, our article seemed very timely. I feel like you and I have been talking about this a lot lately, handling difficult relationships. That includes as a supervisor, as a counselor, lots of different ways that we might handle difficult relationships. The first point in our article was have direct communication. Yes. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Mm -hmm. Can you think of a time where you realized maybe you weren't having direct communication or you realized maybe the benefit of direct communication, either as a counselor or as a supervisor? I think that I can think of actually two that are on top of my head. One is the first time I'm meeting a supervisee or something like that. I try and set the precedent of like, and this is what it generally looks like when we do supervision. Like you come in my office, you sit down, and we're going to talk about cases, but we're also going to cover ethics. And we're also, you know, so I try to give the snapshot about what it looks like. And then sometimes I've been surprised that they're shocked that they have to bring cases in or they have to bring like, oh. like, no, really, when I said that in our first meeting, I meant, I meant it. We're going to talk every week about cases. I think that probably because you're getting these supervisees after they've had a little taste right. of supervision. Right. I think that means that tells you their previous supervisor didn't do didn't that. Do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking as a counselor, I do this same kind of almost the exact mm-hmm. same thing with parents. Yes. That I'm very, very clear about how we communicate, how I don't communicate, mm-hmm. how they can expect me to interact with them and how they can interact with me in a way that works well. And when I like ways that I don't, I'm I'm not going to answer questions or the phone at right nine o'clock on a sun- Saturday or something. Right. It's not going to happen. It's going to be during business hours that I would respond. Maybe if they're trying to have a really long conversation, complicated question in email. Right. I'm going to direct it to in person. Right. Or we can talk about me. that next time you're here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that helps them to feel more confident or trust that we will have continued communication. Absolutely. They're going to know how that works and they're going to know how to get my attention if they need to get my attention or vice right. versa. I can think of a similar situation with that with a supervisee. In one particular situation I'm thinking of, they called me on a Friday They're in their world kind of felt unsure about going into the weekend with this client that had some self-harm behaviors and things like that. So I definitely followed up with them and then gave what we what I would do and what mm-hmm. they could also do to follow up with their client's parent and things like that. And then was like, and now you've done those things. You've done what you're supposed to do. So we'll talk on Monday. Yeah. That was so hard for them to accept. Oh. Like so hard for them to like, <laughs> I'm sure I'm supposed to do something else. No, you've done all the yep. good things. That was it. Right. That's it. And <laughs> gently, but right. don't call me until Monday. Right. We'll talk on Monday. <laughs> I think I do this with, as the counselor also a long time ago now, 10 years or more. I worked at an agency that provided services 
to quite a few families that had no experience with counseling. Okay. I was the first person they were meeting that was a counselor. And the setup of my office was really nice and pretty. It had a really long couch. (laughs) Okay. The office was shaped funny. And so they had a bunch of these couches that fit the space really well, but it was just a really long couch. Mm -hmm. And all the time people would, I was amazed at how many people, they didn't even know each other. They weren't, they all on their own, would come into my office and kind of look uncomfortable and start to try and lay down (laughs) on that couch. And I would go, oh, oh, no, no, it's okay. We're going to sit. We don't have to lay down. (laughs) In here, we don't lay down. But even giving them that kind, even though that seemed sometimes like breaking it down into such a simple thing, they needed that. They needed to know when we meet, we're going to meet for about an hour. Mm -hmm. We don't have to lay down. Right. We're setting the expectation, Mm -hmm. setting what this looks Mm -hmm. like in a normal session. Yeah. Can you think of times where you've had to have direct communication to repair a relationship? Maybe the the, it's already become difficult and you're trying to, because the examples we gave so far are nice, happy examples right. where you start out uh-huh. with direct right. and things are going well. But what happens if you have a difficult relationship and now you need to give some direct communication? I think it's all about boundary setting, really. Mm-hmm. And I have recently have had a client want to come back and a parent obviously needs to have say so and permission to do so, but completely try, okay, here's some dates available and completely try to kind of like manipulate the situation. The parent came back with some of their dates. Nope, sorry, not available those days. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if we're going to be able to see you. That's okay. Do you need some referrals? Like just try to be really directive and then manage that boundary that needs to be set. Because I think sometimes people don't realize like you are not the only client we see. Yeah. You, we're seeing people all day, every day. Mm-hmm. If you've already asked me for my availability and I've given it to you, that's what I've really done. That's really it. Yeah. So I think without saying it, you and I are both saying it's definitely easier to start out right, with clear communication, direct communication, clear boundaries than to have to try and go back and establish those. Mm -hmm. But if you do have to, you can't anticipate every single possible boundary that could be crossed. But if you do have to go back, then you have to really... Be clear and do you, are you saying also really stick to it? Yeah, don't make the exception just because, and I think especially counselors are, if we want to help someone and we're trying to be in that like mindset of like nurturing and caretaking and all these things. And especially I've had the conversation with my supervisee when they don't want to charge for a missing appointment. Like, mm-hmm. no, actually you have to set that boundary yeah. and your paperwork said you're charging for that missing appointment and you are. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. We overlook things or we miss things, so we can't always be perfect, but it can mean a slippery slope. Right. If you miss being clear with your communication, but you you can go back and do yeah, it. You just, can repair it. This might be tricky. Right. The next point that we surmised from our article was identify motivation. And we're talking about that in our role as the counselor or the supervisor, we're going to identify the motivation of the other person that we're in a relationship with. Right. So we're looking to see what would need to be shifted or changed in that communication. Why are they asking for certain things? Had an interesting one that comes to the top of my mind is a situation where one of my supervisees was working at a offsite location where they had a manager mm-hmm. who just also happened to be a supervisor, mm-hmm. but not their, not, super, not their supervisor. So this is a person who works at an agency, not an agency that you work at. Right. And within that agency, they have a boss right. who manages them. <laughs> and that boss happens to also be a clinician who's a supervisor 
but is not their assigned state-approved right. supervisor. Right. You are. It's, so for this person, lots of people find themselves in that situation. Right. They've got to figure out how to manage more than one relationship. Right. And I was quickly identifying that this supervisee was struggling because her boss really did have the best, and that's their boss's job, to have the best eyes on the agency as a whole. Like mm-hmm. what works for this mm-hmm. as a whole? It's great so, for the agency. Right. So the boss is advocating for the company. Right. The boss isn't right. their supervisor. So not advocating. Right. For and she's support. coming for clinical support with me. And I'm going, nope, that actually doesn't work. That's not a great idea for what you've told me about this client. But that client's seeing her in an agency situation. And so it's like there's a lot of times I've had to be like, hey, wait, stop for a minute and think. Why would someone tell her that? Okay, she's not acting as a supervisor. She's acting as a manager Uh of an agency. And by all means, that works best for the agency. Right. She's not putting the client as the number one priority. My supervisee is seeing it as the client being the number one Mm. priority. Talking about this, the handful of communication situations that we talked about at first with direct communication, I was kind of thinking finding their motivation helps me to know how to speak back to them or how to help them how to help us have better direct right. communication. So like my, the family members who would come in and try and lay mm-hmm. down, I think their motivation was not to take a nap. Oh, no. They were like, what am I supposed to do right now? They wanted <laughs> to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, they were trying hard. Mm-hmm. And so if I could appreciate, oh, you'd really like to do the right thing right now. You're not sure what that is. Right. That if I could gently help them know this is the right thing, mm-hmm. then they were happy to do right. it. So... With your supervisee and realizing that her manager, her boss, has maybe different motivation than she does, what would the supervisee then do? Are you thinking about what you do as a supervisor? I'm thinking about what I do as a supervisor. And part of that is supporting my supervisee. She brainstormed some ideas to take back to say, well, that other idea didn't work, but could we do these things differently? Uh This client situation is something that I would knowing the details I know, it's going to be replicated. Like Mm -hmm. this is not going to go, this is not a one-off. This is something that many teenagers that are in treatment at this type of facility are going to experience. (laughs) Like this is something that like, I'm not trying to say agency whole, they haven't figured out yet, but I think there is no protocol yet for that. And they will figure that out. Like, Mm -hmm. so hopefully there's a middle ground for my supervisee to be able to help her client in the most appropriate way while still Mm -hmm. following the rules Mm -hmm. of the agency. I wonder if this is relatable or compares. I had a supervisee. I've had more than one that that I think this was their motivation, that we're talking about something that they need to do as part of their role in, in as a new counselor, and they don't want to do it. Oh, yeah. And they're avoiding. Oh, they're yeah. They're just not doing it. Right. <laughs> and uh, so the one that comes to mind is that I had someone who, in supervision, we talked through a client, and we I decided... I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't really on board. Right. But I decided, yeah, that this needs to be an abuse report. Mm-hmm. Made and said, OK, so this week you need to make an abuse report. And the next time we met, I followed up and they had not made an right. abuse report. And I think really quickly, based on their body language and what they were saying, the supervisee was uncomfortable mm-hmm. making that abuse report and so didn't want to. Right. And I could relate to that and then be understanding of, OK, this is uncomfortable or new for you or you're worried about the mm-hmm. effect it will have, we still need to do it. Right. So I could adjust my response to them, but right. 
you still need to do it. Yeah. So with your supervisee, maybe it doesn't sound like they were uncomfortable. They were uncertain, right. maybe. Right. And so knowing their uncertainty maybe looked like dragging their feet mm-hmm. or not doing it right away or being mm-hmm. worried about how to address this with their boss. Right. If you have insight into that, okay, it's not that she's just refusing to do what I asked her to do or she thinks my my suggestion is stupid. Right. It's that she's worried that she right. now has to deal with her boss who she knows does not have the same opinion. Right. It's hard to face something when you know you're going to hit, like mm-hmm. to look into something and go, I know we don't agree on this, but I still need to push this issue again. Mm-hmm. I think that plays out lots of ways for counselors, especially new counselors. Yeah, that is scary. I I mean, I think... I don't know. I think that we are pros at that. We, you, we, we do that <laughs> all as, the time. right. We do that all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. And it is something that maybe you have to build a capacity for as right. a counselor that when you first start out as a counselor, you're not doing it all day, every day mm-hmm. for years with people. And so it's new and you forget scary. Right? I had a supervisee. It's probably been five years ago, but. He sat down one day to talk to me in supervision and he goes, oh, and I, me- I messed up so big time on Monday. And this was like Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, what's your met? Like, OK, yeah. what's rolling? Yeah. Let's talk about it. He goes, I forgot to charge a client. OK. Yeah. Like, that doesn't okay. seem like a big deal. Go ahead and charge him. Like, right now, today. <laughs> like, do it when we're done with this. Yeah. And like, it had never crossed his mind that that was even a possibility. Oh. Because where he had worked before, it was so, so structured, like he had to charge it in like, immediately. immediately. Like, right like, now. Right. And so he just thought that he was going to miss out on pay for that client because he goofed and didn't mm-hmm. charge them Monday night at yeah. seven or whatever. Or imagine if he hadn't said that to you and more time had gone by. Right. And then, and then he thinks, I mean, he's just completely written it off. As, right. I lost, I lost that. But you understanding that, understanding mm-hmm. some of the background and, and his experience before could go, oh, well, I see why you thought that, right. but that's not the case. It's right. okay. You can go do it. Yeah. <laughs> Our final point in the article that we read this week was in t- the importance of intentional decision-making. I think that's really important, especially when it comes to our supervisees and giving them one time to space, but for them to know, like, I'm intentional in the decisions that I'm making for us in supervision mm-hmm. and for them to know that, like, they don't need to panic about just making a decision to make one and getting over it, like they can yeah. kind of have that modeled a little bit. So that's thinking that maybe sometimes our supervisees might have a hard time being intentional with their decision making. But do you think that as a supervisee or a counselor, there have been times where you felt like you were having a hard time being intentional? And you and I talked about what we are kind of thinking is the opposite of intentional decision making. And we decided that was reactive decision right. making. So do you think you've ever caught yourself going, oh, I'm being reactive right now? I have checked myself. Like I kicked a client out one time mm-hmm. and like I kicked him out and said, uh, no, that's not OK or safe. Go take a break mm-hmm. and like opened my door mm-hmm. and let them leave. Mm-hmm. And it was a grown adult person, not a child. But I remember in the moment going, am I just am I physically reacting to this right now? Because of how he was treating his wife was so bad in session. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Am I just like physically like get out of my office? Yeah. Or am I actually making a cognitive choice of like, oh, he needs to leave. This is not safe. Like uh-huh. I had to really stop and think 
And I think it was probably a combination of both. I think I was like, okay, that's not going to happen in my office. So you need to go take a break. Mm -hmm. But I think also I was kind of like, I stood up immediately, walked over to my door and was like, oh, no, like it wasn't going to be an option. You're leaving. Yeah. So I think it can can go. Uh Does it overlap? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. I mean, we're not perfect, so our supervisees will do this sometimes, but we'll do this sometimes, right. too, where I felt like maybe I was I was catching myself or I was close to being really reactive. I used to have a supervisee, and when we met, I think I was intentional with the first decision that she had a four- or five-month-old, mm-hmm. maybe three. Okay. Three-month-old. Small, a teeny-tiny. Yeah, small <laughs> enough that she needed to figure out childcare, and she was worried about this, but... The baby was small enough. She sat in the carrier Mm -hmm. and slept Mm -hmm. all the time. And I went, you know, I don't know if this will work forever, but let's try it out now. Right. Bring her with you and we'll see. how We'll see. Yeah. And it did work for, I don't know, three or four months, which Mm -hmm. makes me think she was pretty little. Yeah. And it only got to the point where it really wasn't working when she was big enough that she was sitting on a blanket, not in the carrier anymore, and in my playroom. We would get out some of the pretend kitchen mm-hmm. stuff, and we were di- now distracted and worried and not focused on supervision <laughs> because she would put some of the small kitchen items in, in her mouth. Right. Yeah. And so I even, <laughs> I think I mentioned this before on the on the podcast, it was the strawberries and the pretend mushrooms. For I don't whatever know. reason. <laughs> and she could find those stupid pretend <laughs> mushrooms in a whole pile of right. kitchen toys and she could like fish out that little pretend mushroom in a second and pop it in her mouth before either one of us could catch it That's and funny. get it. And so before she would come, I would get right. the mushrooms. So even then we were managing pretty well. But by the time she started pulling up oh, yeah. on thing, right? I remember going, oh, this is going to be the end. Right. This is it. This Here is it goes. Gonna, yeah. We're not going to be able to keep this up if she's like really moving around a lot. And so all of that felt like really intentional decision right. making. The day she pulled up on the coat rack and oh. pulled it down on top of her head, Ouch. I was reacted. <laughs> I was quit and jumped up and jumped across the room and picked her. And I don't know, I think I'd like held her hand or played with her a little right. bit. But that day I jumped up across the room, grabbed through the coat rack <laughs> off of her and scooped her up and held her. And I went like, oh. This isn't my baby. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Did you want your oh, mom? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, and it was so quick. And I think she was pretty, I mean, we'd been in the same room a whole lot, but so no one was totally upset or surprised. <laughs> maybe me the most. You were the most upset. That I went, oh, this is it. Right. Maybe you should hold this baby, not me. <laughs> but that felt really reactive mm-hmm. and not in a hurtful no, way, but I'd got to be right. intentional about right. all of the things I do. Yeah. I think that's so important is that you can see that like that reactive wasn't bad reactive. That reactive mm-hmm. was really good reactive. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, because mm-hmm. what if it was a baby that wasn't comfortable with me? 
or a mom who <laughs> didn't want me to do Don't that. Don't touch my baby. Right. Those things might not have worked, but I think this maybe happens to me more often or I could feel it happening more often when I'm tired. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Or may- like the end of a long day. I've seen a lot of clients that maybe I can think of. I had a client not that long ago with an eating disorder and they were describing what they'd had for a meal or something, <laughs> which is common. Right. And their combo of things, and it wasn't the world's worst combination of things or, I mean, it's not a bad example of, of right. something to have for breakfast, but I just went, ew, yuck. <laughs> You're like, wait, did that come out? <laughs> and I, I did mean it. Like, I still think, yes, that was, I was still trying to uh, communicate and and also a characteristic of someone with an eating disorder that's progressed for a long time. They didn't know combinations that made sense. Right. And so they'd put together two foods that don't go. taste good yeah. together. Right. So I probably could have said that in a different yeah. way. <laughs> but the first thing out of my mouth was, oh, yuck. And then I said, those are not flavors that go well together. Right. That those don't right. taste good mm-hmm. in our mouth together. And so somebody without an eating disorder, no big deal. Right. Somebody with an eating disorder right. is going to interpret that in a way that could be not yeah. intended. Right. So intentional decision making. Can you think of a time where you just really nailed it? And you had amazing intentional decision making. Uh-huh. I mean, I have a couple of CPS cases, actually, that I was like, yep, that's reportable and mm-hmm. right now happening and felt great about the outcome. Mm-hmm. I have one. Okay. I just thought of one. I know this isn't the only one, but I always feel like this when I think that was so like superhero counselor like <laughs> of me. Ta-da! Yeah, <laughs> that like, wow, that was a really great moment that. I said what needed to be said, and it was Mm -hmm. the right timing, and it was, in some cases, maybe felt courageous because it was maybe a hard thing to say, but it was it needed to be said. I worked at a hospital, and I was a pretty young counselor at the time. I worked at a hospital, and it was a locked unit, and right outside the hospital was the waiting area, a reception desk, and a bathroom. Okay. And I was waiting on a family, parents. Mm -hmm. And I was going to meet with the parents and then we were going to pull the kid in and meet as a family. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm kind of like peeking around and looking Mm -hmm. and going, where are these parents? I realize they're in the bathroom together. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I stood, I think I went through all of this. I went like, what am I going to say? And then I thought, I'm kind of mad. Yeah. I can't, I'm mad. (laughs) And, and, Good or not good, I don't know. I had enough time <laughs> while they were in the bathroom together for me to go through this thought process that I went, I'm so mad. Wait, that's not going to be effective. Right. If you're mad, you're not going to communicate what you need mm-hmm. to communicate. So I thought through what I was going to say and how I was going to do it and where would I, what would mm-hmm. I. So I decided, I mean, how more effective than to be really, really, really direct. So I decided I wasn't going to wait till they were in my office. I went and stood right outside the bathroom door. Yes, because this is where you're supposed to meet me. Not sure why you're both in the bathroom. So I stood right outside the bathroom door until they both walked out together, giggly, you know, younger than they were at the time. Gave them my best mom look. Right. (laughs) And said, I think I even identified their motivation. I appreciate that the two of you don't get a lot of time together (laughs) and that you would like to have time with each other but when your child is in 
admitted to the hospital and we're right. waiting on an appointment is not the time, nor is mm-hmm. this an appropriate place for that. And you were like, and I was like, <laughs> killed it. I killed it. It was so good. And the looks on both of their, and they, I'm telling you, they walked out giggly, like holding hands. Right. And man, they dropped each other's sure. hands quickly. <laughs> like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and I think the dad said something like, yes, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. It won't happen again. It fit what we're talking about, direct communication, identify the motivation, intentional decision-making. I made it clear that we were going to move on. Right. You you didn't, there's nothing, we're done. We have this. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Right. We do need to get on with our appointment that Mm -hmm. needs to start right now. Right. Um, And I thought, oh, amazing superhero killer moment. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I've had a couple of those that I get excited that, man, that was so good. Such Mm -hmm. good timing. So, yeah. Can you think of any like that? I um, have had a couple of them with, usually it's with when I'm bringing in another family member, right? Like I'm already working with one client and I'm bringing in either a parent or a sibling or something like that. And usually if I have a teenager, I always say, okay, we're going to talk to mom and dad about X, Y, and Z. So they're prepared. Mm -hmm. And then in this particular case, they said to me, well, you know, that's not really going to work. My dad likes to talk. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. We'll stay on topic. Yeah. And we go yeah. in and sure enough, dad's wandering. He's a, he's yeah, a talker. He's a talker. He's wandering about other things. And so I redirected and I was like, actually, our folk, we only have 20 minutes left. And our focus is to make sure that we talk about our week coming up and what things are going to change, you know, in the house and dynamics. And, and he still wandered, 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 yeah. wandered. His child gently corrected him. I'm like, dad, take it seriously. This is really important to me. Well. And so we wrapped up at the end and I said, and next time, if you'd like to set an appointment with one of our other, yeah. like, <laughs> like to set an appointment with one of our other therapists, they can maybe help you with some of these like executive yeah. functioning skills. And he was like, yes, I'm so sorry when I'm nervous, I deflect and I, you know, and he's going mm-hmm. on and on, which I hadn't even picked up on that he was nervous because <laughs> I had a relationship with him. But I yeah. thought at the same time, I was like, oh, that was so good I even said anything because he wouldn't have even told me that. And then I could have a different appreciation sure, for right. where he was at. Right. Like, yes. oh, okay. I didn't even think right. I it. Well, I was going to say, I think the way you said it must have made it possible for him to, to say hear that. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To like, oh, yeah. I, get, I do this thing where I get yeah. worked up. So difficult relationships are super challenging. They are definitely a part of being a counselor and a supervisor. But it's exciting and rewarding when we... Right. We hit the target. When we nail it, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.